This is a conversation with a good friend of mine, Jamie Richardson. This is gonna be helpful for anybody who has chronic pain, anyone who works with clients who have chronic pain, and also for business owners who are managing employees, like multiple employees. And we all know that sometimes managing employees is a lot of EQ work as well as IQ work. What I discuss in this podcast with Jamie is, first of all, his approach to managing his own pain, the effect that it had on his mentality, but also his approach to helping other people around him who have that same pain. He's a really, really awesome dude. I coached Jamie for a couple of years and we still catch up on a regular basis. He started off a client and became a friend over a period of time. He's a really, really top-notch fella. So if any of you guys want to be better as a leader, want to be better at managing your own pain or want to be better at managing other people's pains, this podcast is going to be very helpful for you. So, mate, how did you bounce back from two shoulder and knee recos? It was just a long process. So I had like originally, I think I had some bad advice early on from a very, very, very young physio. So I was in the gym, typical bodybuilding split, and I just had some shoulder pain and went to a physio. They said it was bursitis. And knowing what I know now, I was like 23. That term is just so broad. Like whether it's impingement, bursitis, tendonitis, tendinosis, whatever the case may be, the rehab is similar, like thoracic extension, rotation, rotator cuff. And she just said, don't move it. Like it was complete rest. And I ended up getting like frozen shoulder symptoms. And I think it just really like messed with my overall shoulder mechanics. And I just couldn't come back from it. And what, I, sh- uh, what did frozen shoulder feel like for you? Oh, man, it was just like constantly stiff. And we have members that go through it all the time. And like the symptoms are exactly what I had where like, you wake up in the middle of the night and it's just really, really, really sore. Like pretty much if you don't constantly move it, it just gets really stiff and really tight. I'm guessing that's just your nervous system saying, hey, like there's danger, keep it still. But you just need to push into that and move it. And physio I saw, she was just lovely, but it was her first day at a physio. Like she, she knew nothing. And it was just, oh, that's my biggest like passion with our members is like, there's a guy in Newcastle, he was the shoulder physio for the Olympic team. <laughs> if he's good enough for the Olympians, he's good enough for our members. So I guess just same as a coach, just find the right person. It's so hard though, man, because you think like the, the natural thing is like when someone's qualified and has a uni degree and has spent four years, you'd assume that they're somewhat decent. Yeah. Even guys like I, because we, we, I love referring, like I'm probably like the best person to know because I f- refer everyone to everyone. But yeah. the one thing that we consistently struggle with is to find good chiros, good physios, good osteos, because yeah. we've got our few that we know that we trust and I send them everybody. Yeah. But then there's the vast majority are really crap. Like, yeah. how do you get your guys around that to actually get someone who's good? I think my biggest problem is, is like the general public, they think someone with a degree is an expert and they, they must understand that that person did that degree even though at 18 to 22, they're now 45, they have no passion left for physio and they're just turning up for their day job. No different is how someone would turn up at Coles, right? They're just, they're just literally punching the clock and it's such a disrespect to that person coming to them in their moment of need because they're not getting the help that they want, right? And quite often they're given bad advice. And more important than that, and it's I guess it's getting more and more common in our industry, is just, I guess, studies around pain sites. And you can go to a physio and you can go, oh, my back's sore. And they can say, listen, like, it's going to be okay. 
And just by that expert, the authority saying that, that person will feel better when they leave or the physio can say, oh, my God, like what have you done? And just that the language is so important when you're dealing with people with chronic pain. Can you delve a little bit deeper into that? In regards to like pain science? Yeah, totally. It's one of my biggest things, mate. Like I've had some chronic pain through my shoulders and my knees from old AFL injuries. And quite often what you need is just someone to tell you it's going to be okay. Because when you're in chronic pain and you're stuck in that cycle, you have really, really bad days. And when I was at my worst and my shoulders were really like bad, I couldn't hang clothes on the line. Like I couldn't put my arm overhead without it like catching and I get having that pinching sensation. And whenever I had that sensation, the next two or three days I'd be in pain. So you just start avoiding things like putting your arms over your head. A big one for our members is like they can't do up their bra strap. So they just can't get into that internal rotation. And you think about like the person wakes up, they're stressed out, they've had a night's sleep and they can't put on their bra without being in pain. Like how like demoralizing that is. Then they go see a physio who doesn't give a shit and they're saying, oh, my God, what have you done? And you just think about how that person leaves that appointment or like, yeah, just how they'd feel in general. And that's why it's so important that you just see the right person because if you get the right diagnosis from day one, a physio who perhaps does some type of physical activity, they're going to get you on a good path straight away. Yeah, go for someone who actually looks like they walk the walk and talk. You know, you know one thing that, that shit life out of me, like someone who was very close to me, like they they had a really bad back, like really, really bad back. They were treated by people who didn't lift, like physios who didn't lift and didn't yeah. train. And the, this person was really like super active beforehand and they told, it, told, told this person to stop, right? And then from that, the back got worse and worse and worse to the point where they couldn't train for literally years and years and end. Because this, you know, these practitioners' personal bias was against training. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so how did you figure out that your physio was shit back in the day? At the time, I didn't know, and I was probably twenty-two at the time. And I own a couple of gyms in Newcastle, and I guess there's nothing better than experience. That's why that physio who was at a university—it's not her fault. Like it's her first day out, but then like. After seeing so many clients come through on a weekly basis, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, I'd see similar problems with similar people. And my advice to them was always keep moving. And there was just simple little exercises that we could do, I guess, in the interim to make them feel instantly better. And then when they, like, I guess, sorry, I'll back up. The best example of back pain, for example, I hear it all the time where we have a client with back pain and they have good days and bad days. So then the question is like, what are those good days and bad days? And it could be that they've had a shit night's sleep. It could be they've had a fight with their partner. It could be that they're, the day at work was shit. And then their back sore. And then it's, woe is me, my world's ending, my back is never going to get better. Mm. As opposed to if that person is experiencing just some back tightness and it's a sensation, they come to the gym in the morning, they meet me, they meet our members, they drink more water, they jump on the bike, they jump on a roll, they start moving they leave and instantly feel better. Yeah. And just that, that that thing in the morning can be the thing that makes them have a good day. All of a sudden, that person strings together good day after good day. It's been three weeks. I ask them, how that, how's their back? Like, oh, I forgot about it. 
it's super interesting how mental state is really tied to physical state as well. Like the people yeah. that I've known for a long time who have had chronic pain every single time, there's not one who I've known who's had a chronic, chronic pain or chronic injury who hasn't been depressed at the same time, hasn't yeah. been depressed, anxious, hasn't enjoyed their life, is living like, in a, like out of congruence with a lot of things. It's really, really crazy. So how do you get somebody out of that funk and out of that cycle? It's just like I just tell them it's going to be okay. Because it is going to be okay. And there was a great stat by, you know him, Andrew Lockstrength. He's like a back yeah, specialist. Man. Yeah, he's really great. And it's an amazing stat. And if every physio told this stat to their client with back pain, they'd feel better. That 99.99999, the nines keep going, percent of back pain get better within eight weeks. So every disc bulge. Eight weeks. Eight weeks. So from, a disc, from the worst disc bulge on planet Earth, 99.9% get better in eight weeks. And then if you tell someone that who has a bit of back tightness a couple of times a week, how much better are they going to feel about that? So why do you feel that the industry around pain management and even just health and PTs in general has gone so far the opposite way where if somebody comes in with a back issue, it's like, oh, don't touch them. Because you're a coach, you don't do this, but that person, that physio, that coach wants to be the miracle worker. What do you mean by that? As in, like, I think people sometimes forget that physios are running a business and, like, they have retention targets. I know they have retention targets. So, for example, if you're not in business, if you go see a physio, they might want to see you, their job might be able to see you five times. Mm. So, session one, they're not going to tell you exactly what you need to hear. They're going to say, hey, just rest it. Week two, time for some clams. Week three, Time for some hip thrusts. And then week four to week eight, when 99.9% of back pain gets better, they're feeling better and they attribute it to the clams or that physio. And it's just just almost like time almost heals everything. And I would never, ever accuse someone of, I guess, not being injured or not being sore or their injury being real. But a lot of it really is down to their mental state. Mm. And I think that's, it's just so important like why do people have good days and bad days with pain and do, do the physios ask that person hey like like you've been, you've been in pain for two days let's recount your last 48 hours i'm a massive advocate for saying that the majority the vast majority of pain of injuries of just general physical illness starts up here in your noggin most yeah, of the time i don't think i've ever met someone who is like Totally, like, like you go, you meet a, a meet, meet surfers, right? And those dudes are like super chill there. You know, like the beach bum surfers, yeah. they're living off the dull, smoking cones, banging chicks, and then surfing every day. They're not injured. They don't have pain. Like, there's nothing which is going that's, on. Even that's my do. brother. My brother lives, like, he lives on Palm Beach, surfs every day. You should see his fucking squat. <laughs> like, he's never squatted a day in his life. He doesn't know what dorsiflexion is, but he's just out there on the board having a great time. What his movements perfect? Perfect. Like he came to Newcastle, I think it was last July, and he joined in on some of our sessions. And members just couldn't believe how well he moved. <laughs> and he just, he's never lifted weights before. Just yeah. jumped in there and it was fine. Yeah, there's something massive about stress, man. The one thing I do with all the guys, like on the, on the man weekends, so I get them to take three deep. So test their hamstrings. So like standing, like standing up and then go down, try and touch your toes, measure how far you get. After that, go and take three big, deep breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth, like as big as you can. And then afterwards, it's crazy how many people will get about two to three inches of extra range of motion just from that because of how much their nervous system is just jacked up big time. So yeah. tight. 
yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more. And it's just like, I'm just, I'm just a massive, I guess, advocate of living pain-free because I went through years and years of being in like, it's like typical chronic pain. And like, I can see it on someone's face when they, they come to a session, their back sore, they've had a shit day and they're just, they're not even themselves anymore. Like they're there. For me personally, like when I was in pain, I was snappy. Like I was miserable. It was little things like I went through some plantar fascia, like after my knee surgery, which is quite common. And like walking on the beach really aggravated it. And Ellen, my girlfriend, was like, let's go for a walk. I'm like, no, like I'm not going for a walk. And just like someone who hasn't experienced plantar fascia or hasn't had chronic pain before, they don't know what it's like to have those simple things just become like an, such a big issue in their life. And the longer that chronic pain goes for, like that anxiety of walking on the beach continues to build up. And all of a sudden they're stuck at home inside. What effect did that have on your relationship? We didn't go to the beach. <laughs> no, like she was, um, she was really good about it. And to be honest, I was probably a bit embarrassed about it. I was embarrassed about how bad I was feeling at certain times mm. and just like, like plantar fascia, right? Like we have members have the same thing where like, it's literally like having glass in your foot and every step, imagine every step that you take, you have a rock in your shoe. And then someone asks you to go walk two hours on the beach. It definitely affects like, it affects everything you do. Everything. Yeah. I remember when I had it, I had it back when I was playing footy. It was gnarly yeah. because you cannot do it. It's, it's funny how much you walk, even when you think you're resting. It's yeah. like constantly moving and they're having this thing. It just sits you on your ass all day. It sucks. So so what's been your methodology to go? Because you've, you've had two shoulder recos, two knee recos. You had your plantar fasciitis. You've had your your toe was buggered a little while right. back. That, that was just opposite like the plantar fascia. And, and that's the thing once you – that's why I'm so passionate to help other people because like I don't want people to go down my path. And I think – at the start, when I didn't have the right advice, I had plantar fascia. So then naturally, I'm going to work more on my forefoot. <laughs> and then I had the opposite of plantar fascia, which is called metatarsalgia, right? And I'm, I'm sure you've experienced too, where you have a sore shoulder, your shoulder gets better, and then your elbow sore. And then your elbow gets better, and your wrist is sore. And it's just like whenever you have that injury or whenever you have that ache and pain, like identify what it is, <laughs> identify whether you're being overdramatic, and if you think it is serious enough, just find the right person and get the help. Just find the right person. So how did you get through? Because actually, even before that, why were you so banged up? Like, why did you have so many injuries that just never went away? I think I just I played AFL and it was my own stupid fault. I tore my right ACL in 2010 and then it was like July. And then August 2010, I had this big piss up planned around the world. And I went for two years and throughout those two years, I buckled my knee probably three or four times and I was just on the dance floor having a great time. And every now and again, it would just, as you know, with an ACL, like there's just some structural instability. But then I think about like when I'm walking around Europe and the States for those two years, I'm probably going to be preferencing on my left side and my left side when I had the plantar fascia and the metastasia. And just, I think it just, being young, being dumb, I just didn't get on top of the initial injury right away. And that just has led to so many downstream effects. I'm good now, but still even to this day, I get little aches and pains here and there. Mm. 
It's funny how much, how little it's actually looked at. One of the big gripes I have is you'll see someone come in with elbow pain and they'll go and get treatment just for the elbow. Nobody will look at the, you know, at the shoulder. Nobody will look at the thoracic spine. They won't look at anything like that or even the diaphragm, how they're breathing or anything like that. And it's like, we're always looking for just at the point of the pain. We're not actually looking for the root of it. So how do you get people to, instead of just going through and take, pop a Nurofen, like that is one of the things that me the most whenever somebody has an issue of any sort be it headaches be it any sort of pain information people would say oh just pop a neurofin and it'll be better it's like the dumbest idea yeah. in the world it's, it's like so inflammation is the thing which is getting you better yeah. inflammation yeah. is the process of healing it's just stupid and cortisone's cortisone's worse i had that you know it's fun i got a funny story about that so i was playing footy i was I was, I thought I was better than what I was when I was younger, but I was okay. And I was, I remember playing footy and I ended up getting um, bursitis recurring in my left knee. And so I just couldn't walk. It absolutely sucked. And you know, what it's like when you're 17 full of hormones, you just want to go belt shit out of other blokes. It's like, I was just like really inf infuriated. So I went to go, I went to a sports physician in Sydney. This guy was meant to be good. Terrible. He me up he's my brother up too when i went out and saw this bloke and he goes and he puts cortisone in my in my knee and said sweet in two weeks you'll be good to go and play again came back two weeks later after that hyper extended my right knee tore my meniscus i was out for the rest of the season bye bye footy career it yeah. was like the the dumbest thing but it's so common over and over and over again that you see people are getting this advice from doctors who frankly have no idea what they're talking about i don't care how many letters they have before their name they just yeah. don't know what they're doing so how do you get around that how do you actually decipher whether someone's actually good or not well i think that's part of having a coach well like let's just say someone who starts work with you you have a really trusted network that people can go to right like, well, our members that come to us i have the best podiatrist in newcastle his, his name is justin smith i send everyone to him <laughs> for any any like pelvis i guess post-pregnancy issues that people have, I send them to our physio felicity. If it's a shoulder injury, I send them to Craig at Regent Street Physio. Like anyone that comes to me, I have the people in Newcastle that I trust they can go to. And, and I think also like when that person goes to that physio and they come back to their coach and they tell their coach, hey, the physio said I can't do this. And I just, uh, really? Like, <laughs> are you sure about that? Or yeah, like I got dry needling and like now I'm better. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that either. But I had that experience when we first moved to Newcastle, but now with our great physio network and podiatrists and chiro and osteos that all our members are taken care of. So on, on that, on dry needling, right? So from you as a coach, having observed how many thousands of guys and girls who've come through you, what are your thoughts on dry needling? It goes back to pain science. I think every physio on earth knows that <laughs> dry needling does next to nothing. Like it is a half hour feeling, but if you go see that physio and the physio says, listen, I've seen 10 people today with elbow pain, tennis elbow pain, I needled their forearm and it got better, that person's going to feel better after, right? And that person then has a good day the next day, a good day after, and they start feeling better. It's almost like, like dieting. Like people, when they do keto, they attribute carbs to losing body fat and they attribute needling to getting better when like it's not the same thing. Like it was less calories, and the needling just got you moving again, right? So I think when, when they go see that practitioner and they feel better, they should also know why they're feeling better. Does that, does that make sense? So, 
mess it up. Yeah, no, it does make sense. Perfect sense. It's more about the actual their their belief in that something is going to work, like fucking like rock tape. You yeah. see all these athletes who are yeah. taped up with their shoulder. I'm like, bro, we know this is. Even James, <laughs> we know if, rock tape doesn't work. Even James Harden, NBA <laughs> Boston, uh, sorry Brooklyn Nets. I'm pretty sure he's physio as world class, and he gets rock taped. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've heard any anyone produce any actual evidence. I could be wrong. I mean, this isn't my area, obviously, but any evidence but to suggest the rock tape The only thing I've ever seen is it helps with sciatica, legitimately, because cool. it, it, it slightly lifts the skin, which gives that nerve more room to travel through. So because this, the tape contracts, it can slightly lift the skin. But once again, like it's just like rock tape is probably the best I guess, explanation of like pain science because it just changes the symptom, right? If you have a sore elbow and it's tape and you're just feeling like tightness in your forearm and you rock tape it, you just feel the stickiness of the tape. Mm. So it, it's just it's symptom modification, which I think is good because then if you feel better from those symptoms, then you start doing stuff and you start feeling better, right? So it's just, it's just really interesting. But like back to the original point, like you just need to – have someone you can talk to about who am I seeing? Is it the right help? Mm. And that goes back to having a coach or having someone that you trust. So then, okay. So like, so someone, so we've, we've got pain, like someone has actually got pain and they come in to use, like, what are your first steps? Like, how do you refer them to the right person? Because there's a whole heap of other things in there too, around personality, the practitioner, who you're going to be working with, the expertise, all that sort of stuff. How do you work that out? Uh, it, it all depends on what it is, right? Like, so if someone comes in with, shoulder impingement, right, and their shoulder gets sore when they put their arm overhead. Mm. In our program, we have a 10-minute, I guess, warm-up mobility routine, and we'll personal, I'll personalize that person's warm-up. And it'll be things like thoracic extension, thoracic rotation. It will be external rotation work, scapular depression work, and we might change their neutral grip shoulder, sorry, their pronated grip shoulder press to a neutral grip. So I'll try and, I guess, put them through a session work around the pain and then check up on the next day. Hey, like pain 10 to one, 10 being excruciating, one being nothing. Where are you? And if it's a two, that's a great result because mm. they've gone through a workout. They've worked harder than they have before with that shoulder and the pain is the same or less. So then we do it again. And then if we hit a bit of a roadblock, maybe two to four to six weeks in, or I don't think that person's actually like listening to me because they need to see that authority, then I will refer them on. Yeah, gotcha. So then what do you think about, and, and from your experience, from what, what, what you've seen, we work with a large number of people. What about anti-pain supplements, fish oils, glucosamine, all that sort of stuff? Do they have a role in your opinion? No. <laughs> not at all. Why not? I, I, um, it's just like, it's just a 1% thing. And like even fish oil is probably one of the most researched supplements. So like out of all the supplements, I'd probably, hey, try some fish oil. But I think like it just all comes back to how you're moving and just like just your, your biomechanics to begin with and are you moving in the right way or have you had an injury like shoulder impingement, are your shoulders rounded and you move horrendously and you're just stuck in that pain cycle. Right? Fish oil isn't going to fix that. But perhaps doing some thoracic rotation, thoracic extension, strengthening the posterior chain, that should be able to get you back open. 
So what are the main like movement issues you see that people have when they come to you? I think typically like it's, it's, the, it's the positions that we spend the most time in every day, sitting down. So quite often they're rounded shoulders, they're texting on their phone and their hip flexors are really tight. And then if you have that rounded motion and your hip flexors are tight, you, you see it all the time where their head's forward, their chest is up, their butt's back, and they're just like they're not aligned anymore. And it just it can be so simple to like, I guess, restore some of those movement patterns just by going into hip extension, by doing some thoracic rotation, thoracic extension, and just it sounds so simple, but just firing up that posterior chain and then also just living a healthier lifestyle, perhaps going for more walks, getting a sit-stand desk, like not being on your phone late at night and having a shit night's sleep, right? So I think it's just it's the posterior chain, it's the simple stuff we do in the warm-up, but then it's also just having a look at their lifestyle because no amount of foam rolling your hip flexors will fix sitting for 12 hours a day. Totally. It's funny how weak the hip flexors get as well. One thing that it's, so I've always had knees, like pretty similar to you, shit knees, shit hips, all that, because once again, I had a shit physio going through school. I was like the, the physio we had had no idea. I remember spending, we spent like, I can't remember, it was a few hundred bucks for a session for them to rub an ultrasound on my knee. Yeah, that's cool. Right? <laughs> it's like, where the do you get these ridiculous ideas from yeah. that do absolutely nothing one of the things i found for me quite recently which has been you know i'm only lifting now one of the things that's been most beneficial for me is hip flexor like like so like size raises hip hip flexor work where i'm actually loading yeah. the hip flexors everyone says that hip flexors are too tight you shouldn't train your hip flexors but it's the opposite too weak right yeah. I remember we were playing basketball in newcastle and i was sitting on the bench on the side doing hip flexor raises <laughs> Like it's, it's so underrated. And if that hip flexor is a, a sensation tightness, if you do 50 reps and you absolutely exhaust that muscle, that area is going to feel different. So you modified your symptoms while getting stronger. And I'm going to f*** this word up, but is it an analgesic effect? Like if you do a big, gnarly isometric contraction or lots of reps, it can change that sensation of tightness to something else. Totally. Well, a muscle gets tired when it feels weak. That's why. Yeah. I mean, this, this, the age-old example is like you try doing a bite, like curling a bicep curl from like, you know, pretty much almost all the way there to extending it all the way out. If you fully lengthen your elbow and you extend that bicep, you feel really weak there. And then if you bring it up and you have it nice and tight, then you're going to feel really, really strong there. And so if you're having a weak muscle, it is going to want to put that muscle into a slightly more contracted and contracted uh phase of the range of motion so yeah. that it will be stronger. And if you have tight hip flexors, the solution is not to stretch the f out of them and make them even weaker. The solution is to strengthen them, strengthen, strengthen, strengthen. Yeah. Um, I've always been curious as to like, why hasn't the, the, everyone's all about weightlifting isn't health. It's crazy, man. The, the, the myths out there, like red meat's bad for you and weightlifting's bad for you. It's like total crap. But it's like the fact that there is so little emphasis placed at all on strengthening tight muscle groups is ridiculous, don't you think? One of the most beneficial things I've ever did for my hip flexors was literally put my foot in the kettlebell. I'm standing and I have my knee up at 90 degrees and I'm holding an eight kilo kettlebell for about 30 seconds. I do three sets each side and it just makes them feel so much better that it's the confidence too that I can hold that kettlebell up for that long 
And then if I'm on an assault bike or a rower and I'm smashing my hip flexor, like it was just in that position and it felt good. So I was going to carry it over to the exercise. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally, man. Totally. Yeah, like, like the majority of muscles, like if it is, if it is sore, if it is weak, then it is strength training, but then just like the right dose, the right dose at the right time. Yeah, totally. Like anything. Well, so yeah. what made you want to reach out and work with us, man? You actually were friends with my friend from high school, Abdul. That's right, Abdul. Right. Yeah, and I saw some of your videos in regards to nutrition. And I was, at the time I was struggling, I was, I felt as though like I was really disciplined in all aspects of my life, from my business to even my training to my knowledge around all things health and fitness. But I just always struggle with my nutrition. And I liked your message in regards to just let's get as healthy as possible before we start getting into a calorie deficit. And for me, that is just so crucial because if you're going to lose body fat, calorie deficit, everyone knows it. But like, are you in a position to get yourself into a calorie deficit when you've got sore joints, when you're perhaps you're not sleeping well? And I liked your message around health. And it was the same message that we portray to our members. Like, let's just get healthy. Let's get you moving three or four times a week. More often than not, the scales take care of themselves. And then if they don't, then then maybe we can implement some type of dieting strategy. It's funny, isn't it, that when you think about it, if you've got pain, if you're already not sleeping well, if you're already anxious, if you're already stressed, throwing hungry on top of that too is generally yeah. a pretty shit idea. Yeah, and even like to this day, like if I'm having a really day for whatever reason, I'm probably going to reach for food <laughs> like, like most people. And then if you think if you're really trying to be in a calorie deficit, you're in a shit mood, you a shit day, and then you reach for that food, you've gone off your diet, you feel guilty, you feel even more shit. And it's just that vicious, vicious, vicious cycle of why even with our members, where they diet and they put it back on, they diet and they put it back on, they diet and they put it back on. And then just by their 10th try, they don't believe it's possible anymore. And all of a sudden they're out buying the lady shake. <laughs> So it's just people need to get the right help at the start. Yeah, totally, man. Getting the right advice really, really quick. Well, for you, like you had to humble yourself, right? Because you, you're, you're a PT, yeah. you're a coach, you're, you're running gyms. It was like, was that difficult for you to actually be able to reach out for help? No, not at all, because I think everyone needs help. And if I have members paying us for a service and I'm providing that accountability, it would make sense that I would pay for that service, right? And this off topic, I hate the majority of PTs and it's because they don't actually, they, they, they want to charge 80 an hour, but they would never invest 80 an hour into themselves with, with, with a different coach. And that is the most hypocritical thing you could possibly do on earth. Totally. We call that congruence, man. Yeah. I spend an absolute fortune on coaching every single year. And you know, the, the thing I find funny about like those PTs, it's not just PTs as well, man. It's like yeah. every single, every, yeah. it's just people, a lot of people you, you in general. The, yeah, you go to the doctor who's really, really overweight and, you say, and then he says, what's your cholesterol? Well, 
good or bad cholesterol? What are you talking about? Not congruent at all, man. It's it's so and it's hard to take those people seriously. But you know the irony out of that, the ultimate irony is you look at you because like obviously we only coach guys who are pretty successful. It's like the ultimate irony is that you who are successful and have done very very well in both business and also your ex- area of expertise, you come and you're willing to reach out for help. The guys who aren't willing to reach out for help and don't get coached and aren't being congruent are every single time the ones who just don't do well and won't experience success. Yeah, and I guess the other reason I reach out to you too is when I was in that bit of a pain cycle and in terms of the biomechanics and trading side, I was all over it. It's like I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And at that point, I believed I had the right help from the, I guess, physical side. But I just still didn't feel great. And gluten and dairy, like I know you talk about it at nausea. And I also now talk about it at nausea. <laughs> What effect did cutting gluten and dairy or minimizing, because you didn't totally cut it, like what effect did minimizing have on you? I think just like just that nonstop feeling of being bloated, right? And just like the, I guess the, obviously the protein that gets into your small intestine that increases systemic inflammation. Like if I have any sign of pain, or let's just say that I'm genetically more prone to experience pain, it is my job to ensure that I'm not putting inflammatory things into my body and gluten and dairy are both definitely inflammatory and i first discovered it when i went to thailand before i worked with you actually i was in thailand and i was obviously stress-free but i felt amazing and then i had to look at like well hang on what was i doing and i was just consuming no gluten and that wasn't like a choice that i made it was just like just was like rice and chicken on repeat as opposed to the burger as opposed to bread or as opposed to any other things that are in Western, I guess the Western diet that has tons of gluten. Mm. You used to knock back a fair bit of food before we we started yeah. working together. <laughs> you had a you, had <laughs> you you lived life. Let's, let's yeah. put it that way. But, so, um, the other thing too was just like it was just lots of alcohol too. Yeah, alcohol, and I think like that was something that I've just grown up with. Like me and Mitch, we just loved a good time, and then we opened our business, and business was good. And then the party continued. And then uh, probably around 2017, we cut that out. And then I felt better already because I was sleeping better, less alcohol. But then that food kind of, I guess, replaced that as opposed to going out for a drink and a bit of a boogie, we'd go out for dinner. Mm. And I think- How much of an adjustment was that to, to stop drinking, to stop eating to, to stop doing that? And to uh, have that- we, we just got, we got to the point where we were so busy that like I couldn't wake up at, 12 o'clock on Sunday and my phone had 50 messages on it, right? And I just felt that like if I was doing that, I was just behind the eight ball the entire week. And it's just the, the stupid things like I, I didn't wash my clothes, right? So I, I didn't hang on the line. So I think just having that discipline to stay at home just really helped me. But then obviously that was replaced by food. And I think what people, I guess, don't understand about food is like you can still have a great meal. You can eat a ton of food. But just choose foods that agree with you. What do you mean by foods that agree well, with you? I tell my members all the time, like, oh, should I eat this, should I eat that? And I say, like, if you can exercise one hour after you eat that food, then you can probably eat it. But if you if you can't, don't eat it. How does right? that work for them? I guess, well, that's a really good rule. Like, so let's just say they a thousand calories of the best tasting food, chicken, rice, whatever type of sauce, if they can exercise an hour later then I think that food has digested well. That person's feeling good. They've got lots of energy. They can then train. 
as opposed to that person has equal amount of calories from KFC and they feel like and they're burping and they're bloated and they can't train, then obviously let's go the other route. Totally. Makes sense. Yeah. And just the whole calories in, calories out thing, what do you think about that? Do you, do oh, well, like it is, it is definitely like that's the law, right? Law of thermodynamics yeah. is that if you want to lose weight, weight, not saying fat or muscle, but weight, big key thing that people forget. If you want to lose weight, then you have to expend more energy than what you put in. But there are far, there are optimal ways to do that. And there are suboptimal ways to do that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's just like, that is a message to our members is like, obviously calories in, calories out matters. But we did a nutrition challenge in November for our members and it was three things. It was two serves of protein. It was three liters of water, which equals about 50 mils per kilo. I got, I got that a few. And about, it was 800 grams of vegetables, right? And if you put those three simple rules in place, that person's going to feel great. They're going to be satiated. They're probably going to eat less shit. Therefore, that will create a calorie deficit and they feel amazing at the same time. As opposed to just saying, eat less, move more. Eat less, move more doesn't help anyone. Totally. Because everyone already knows that. Yeah. I don't think the thing with um, that, that a lot of guys struggle with when it comes to a lot, of, a lot of us in general struggle with when it comes down to losing weight, getting shredded is it's not that everyone f- knows that. I don't yeah. think there's an obese person in the world who doesn't know they should probably eat a little bit less yeah. and they should probably go on a couple more walks. It's not like, where did all this weight come from? You f- know where it came from. But then it comes down to actually having the discipline of the systems of the ease of actually being able to, to do that and to follow it long term. Actually, for you as well, one thing I want to look at was how did you feel differently? I know like you obviously got shredded working with this. You got shredded, you got jacked, and, and you look awesome all year round, super effortlessly. But how did you feel different before or after, before to after working with this? I also knew eat less, move more. And I was choosing suboptimal strategies to do that. And like, like the majority of people, I'd start something and then I'd be six days in and just wasn't working or I, I'd go off diet and then I'd restart Monday. And then I guess I, I, this is the biggest thing I learned from your program is just like you can eat the most amazing tasting foods, just eat those foods, right? And I think that's one of the biggest keys to dieting I've learned is have those 10 go-to meals that you love, that you really enjoy, that you look forward to every single meal. Make sure those meals digest well and you feel good when you eat them and just eat the shit out of them. And I think that, that is honestly the biggest key to dieting for me was just having those about 10 meals that I really enjoy and just nailing them every single day as opposed to like not being planned or trying one diet this week, one diet next week. Consistency. So, okay, so how much did... Did it actually, did it at all have an effect, like the way that you're eating with us? Did that actually influence your pain at all? I just think like, like correlation causation, like I was less bloated, I felt better. So I was having good days with pain, if that makes sense. Hmm. So I, I, yeah, I believe it did. It's funny. It's not not direct, but it's an indirect effect that yeah, it has when absolutely. you feel less bloated. I know with me, like when I, if I ever eat something, and I'm like, oh, that didn't sit right with me. It's like the next day I'm always jammed up through my back. I'm always tight. My joints get puffy like really, really quick. And as yeah. soon as you fix that and as soon as you're like bang on with it, straight away everything gets much, much easier. Yeah. And since I've worked with you, like I just have a much greater – like I, I understood the principles of nutrition, obviously, like it's what I do for work. It was just a way to apply those principles 
and not have like a dogmatic view of just eat less, move more. There's just far better ways to go about it. And the other thing too is just accountability. Right? I think people for the most part are really selfless and I think people would rather let themselves down than let you down. And every Tuesday when we spoke, I wanted to give you good news. <laughs> so like if having a coach in general does anything for you, whether it's our members to me or me to you or you to your coach, just accountability. And it's when the, the most you, underestimated part of coaching, right? Yeah, and like, and people just. So I think some people are too proud to admit that that they just need someone to hold their hand. But it just, it just, it works. <laughs> it just simply works. So, what's your decision making process for when you hire someone? What makes you hire someone like me as opposed to going and hiring any other Joe Schmo off the street? It was just, I think, like most people, as opposed to just seeing that quick Instagram ad or Facebook ad and clicking enroll now or purchase the cheapest product out there, like when I saw you, it took me about probably four months to reach out. I heard you speak with Abdul and I went back through your Facebook lives and listened to some, I was literally looking for stuff based around like digestion and bloat, being bloated and being pain-free, listened to a bunch of your stuff. And by the time I got on the phone with you, it was undeniable that you knew what you were talking about, Mm. right? And like, I think most people just, when they start working with a coach, they just need to spend that little bit of time just researching the right person. And the other thing too is like, how long has your coach been doing it? Like if you go onto your page, you've been doing this for five, six, seven plus years, which means that what you're doing is working and you've gotten great results as opposed to the pop-up 14-day bikini challenge it's on Instagram. What do you think of them? They're shit. They're awful. Why? They don't work. Yeah. And, and the other thing too is like, you, you just pay for what you get. Members of Newcastle, like my gyms are the best in Newcastle. Are we the cheapest? Absolutely not. But we are the best and i'll put my gyms up with anyone and like even in lockdown we're doing 140 hours of one-on-one pt we're doing 15 hours of zoom we're doing home workouts equipment non-equipment members are picking up equipment from our gym like we're going above and beyond because the members pay for a service and we deliver it why did you choose to go more expensive but much higher value instead of doing what a lot of people would do in your position and just go for the cheapest Nastiest thing you get as many people through the door as possible. Yeah. One of my first ever PT clients, he was super successful. He, he might be a 10 millionaire for all I know. He probably is a 10 millionaire. He's a child psychologist in Newcastle, like the most respected psychologist in Newcastle. I was lucky to work with him. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how he found me. He used to bulk bill his clients. He used to bulk bill the parents. Anecdotally, over three or four years, he realized that the kids that he bulked bill, those parents that didn't pay for his service, didn't implement any things that he was saying. So the kids that he was seeing got far worse results. But when he was charging 330 an hour, you best believe that parent was listening and following through on that advice. And that is one of the most important things. Great example, we've given out a few lifetime memberships for Breakthrough and none of them come, right? Like if you don't pay for something, you don't value it and you don't get results. And I I believe that too, Michael. Yeah. We find that too, man. That's the difference between our clients from when we used to have programs at like $44 a week. Now we have them 100, 200, 500,000, 2,000 plus a week. And it's, it's always funny that the guys, not, not, not all the time, but generally the people who pay the most pay the most attention. Yeah. And that was, like, that was one of my first, the most important things I ever learned before starting our gyms was when I was a one on one PT and I worked with that client. And I heard that and I thought, I, I couldn't believe it. I was in shock that. Like this person would bulk bill you, he'd do you a favor 
and then you disrespect him by not following through on what he said. Mm. Totally, so, man. But I think just like like first things first is just do your research before you choose a coach. Don't choose the cheapest coach out there and just follow through on what they say. And the other thing too is like even with us and our coaching too, it's, it's a huge component. It's just being honest with each other, like mm. developing a good relationship with your coach, having the ability to say, hey, I had a shit week because of X, Y, Z. You don't get upset. You understand. You can adjust it as opposed to saying, yeah, I did everything you told me to and I'm not losing weight. And I'm not, I'm sure that's happened to you before. Totally. Yeah. Us too. Yeah. <laughs> happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really awesome. No, you're more than welcome, mate. People don't know this, but we've become great friends and I'm going to your wedding. Yeah. Coming up, man. If there's any, <laughs> anyone out there who thinks like your coach doesn't give a or you can't develop a good relationship with your coach, we didn't know each other three years ago and now I'm going to your wedding. It's crazy, huh? That's a good testimonial. That join, is, man. join JCF and go, and go to your wedding. <laughs> it's going to be a big wedding, bro. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be there. Man, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate you, dude. You're more than welcome. Thanks, James. Thanks, man.